Could you turn with me to uh, Psalm 66? Psalm 66. And um, we're going to read this psalm. And we're going to talk about hindrances to prayer. Hindrances to prayer in the life of a believer. Psalm 66. And uh, out of respect and reverence for God's Word, if you're physically able, would you stand with me now as we read it? This is the Word of the Living God. We're going to focus in primarily on one verse and uh, in Psalm 66, but let's just read the whole chapter. It says, Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, How awesome are your works! Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves, Selah. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer up bulls with goats, Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried out to him with my mouth and he had stolen and he was extolled with my tongue. And here's the verse, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, crack up in our hearts as we crack up in the word and the eternal fruit and truth that is there may it fall down deep in prepared soil as we have ears to hear and I pray you'll give us those ears to hear we can discern from your voice the the uh, the learn more today about the most powerful weapon at the believers disposal and that is the weapon of prayer and father thank you for the grace that you've imparted to us that we can come before you boldly to find mercy and grace and help in time of need we love you. We worship you and praise you. We're excited about you. We're thrilled to be able to call upon you and be called your children. We know that's all by grace through faith. In the sweet name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hindrances to prayer. In this great psalm of praise written by David, in verse 18 it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. There are only three things that... I want to use as an outline this morning, very simple. And the first one is relationship, the second one is fellowship, and the third is perspective. Relationship, fellowship, and perspective. Now the question begs itself this, 
And this has been asked and batted around through the ages. And even today, as we approach the National Day of Prayer, which is caused, by the way, quite a bit of controversy in the country. As a matter of fact, recently a judge has ruled that the National Day of Prayer is unconstitutional. As a matter of fact, they just recently issued an um, uh, invitation for Franklin Graham to uh, go to the Pentagon on the National Day of Prayer and pray. And now they're, they're considering, the military brass are considering rescinding that uh, invitation because of some of the remarks he's made about Islam. And so uh, as a result of that, they're going to turn the tide on the invitation. It sounds like and de-invite him. Uh, so there's a lot of things going around and swirling around right now, and it's all over prayer. And, of course, thank God, uh, because this has all brought prayer to the attention of the nation, whereas otherwise that would have probably been just another obscure passing day. But does God hear all prayer? And if he does hear prayer, what are the conditions upon which he hears it? Now, when we're talking about hearing prayer, we're not talking about just hearing it and giving voice to it, but we're talking about listening in a responsive way. Does God listen and respond to all prayer? Well, the first condition for God to hear prayer is something that every one of you in here are all too familiar with, and that first condition is relationship. There's got to be a relationship. That's the first thing. Now, you know what? Not everybody is a child of God. It's popular nowadays to think about that, and people talk about everyone being a child of God. But that's not true. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 3.26, let's go look at that and just settle this scripturally right now. Prayer is predicated upon a relationship. Prayer is a dynamic relationship with the living God. And before God listens to and responds to prayer, there must be a relationship. And not everyone has a relationship with God. Look at Galatians 3, and we're going to look at verse 26. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say you are all sons of God, period. It says you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We are not all children of God. Now listen, we're all the creation of God, but we're not all children of God. Everybody knows God as creator. But not everybody knows him as father. And the only way to know him as father is through a new birth through Jesus Christ. We are not children of God by nature of our first birth or our physical birth. We're children of God by virtue of a second birth. We received that second birth when we had spiritual death and God gave us spiritual life. We received the second birth when we were uh, convicted of our sin, and we admitted that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, asked God to forgive us through the death of His Son, and then responded to Him as being the answer for our eternal need. And then we become a child of God. Everybody knows God as Creator, but not everybody knows God as Father. The only way to know God as Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He only responds to the prayers and listens to and gives attention to the prayers of his people. The only prayer that God gives attention to, to somebody who knows him as creator, but does not yet know him as father, is God be merciful to me, a sinner. It is the prayer of repentance toward God and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That prayer God listens to. 
Because that prayer is the gateway to the second birth. And once we make that decision by faith, then we become not only God's creation, but we become created in Him anew in the second birth, and we become His child. And when we become His children, He's attentive to and listens to and responds to the prayers of His children. So the first thing we would need to understand in regard to prayer is there's got to be a relationship. Now, David, when he wrote this, had a relationship. But he said this in verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now let's look at that, regard, that word regard. The underlying Hebrew word from that word regard means to approve, it means to enjoy, and it means to be at home with. It means to approve, it means to enjoy, and it means to be at home with. If I am comfortable if I am in a state of iniquity and I am in a state of habitual sin and I'm so caught up in that sin and God's made me aware of, aware of it through the convicting power of His Holy Spirit and I refuse to respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and I continue to stay in that sin, that's what He's talking about here. It means that it's at home in my life like a cherished friend as a matter of fact not only do I know it's wrong and I continue in it but here's what we begin to do we begin to try to justify it oh man sometimes we'll even go into the Bible and try to justify it but most often here's the way we justify it well you know that's just me that's kind of something I just struggle with. That's kind of like, that's just kind of particular to me. And we just kind of shrug it off as not being important to God. But that fellowship, it's relationship. And then the relationship is intact. It's eternal. But to God to hear and respond to the prayers of His own, we must be in fellowship with Him. Fellowship. So we have relationship. Then we have fellowship. And so often, God willing, next Sunday is the, is the uh, first Sunday of the month, and God willing, we'll have the Lord's Supper. And part of the Lord's Supper is to examine ourselves to see if, first of all, only those who can partake of the Lord's Supper have a relationship. And then part of the beauty and the joy and the grandeur of the... Lord's Supper itself is to not only after having a relationship with Him, we do a spiritual gut check, if you will, to see if we're in fellowship with Him. And so we've got the relationship, and then at the Lord's Supper we're challenged, but let's don't wait until then to see, Lord, I have a relationship with You, but am I walking in fellowship with You? Is there anything in my life that I approve of, that You don't approve of, that I enjoy, that grieves you, is there anything in my life, any sin, any iniquity that I'm regarding, that I'm holding on to, and that I'm at home with? As a matter of fact, sometimes to the point, Lord, where I've justified it in myself as maybe not being so important to you. Do you know sometimes the way we can justify things in our lives, and this convicts me, all of this convicts me, but the way we can justify things in our lives is, is that when we continue to embrace and walk in iniquity, and God doesn't yet discipline us for it, sometimes we talk ourselves into thinking that the fact that God hasn't yet disciplined us for it means He approves of it. 
Maybe because God hasn't yet responded yet. But you know what? Don't misinterpret God. His delayed discipline is not approval of unrepentant iniquity in your life. His delayed discipline is a measure of His grace in hoping that you will repent. It is his part of his long-suffering and his forbearance and his mercy. As a matter of fact, even though this is talking about an unsaved person, it equally applies to a saved person. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that God's long-suffering, his patience, and his kindness toward us is what leads us to repentance. And so we go through the exercise because we have the relationship. We want to do a gut check about the fellowship. Because if we regard, if we are at home with iniquity, if I'm just really comfortable in the iniquity and the sin, the unrepentant sin in my life, listen, listen to this. The Lord will not hear. Could we not make the case that perhaps the worst thing that could ever happen in a Christian's life is to be so out of fellowship with God that He won't hear you when you pray? I mean, you know what? I mean, we talk about people say, you know what? Now, here's the deal. I pray. I pray. I've heard, I've talked to people in witnessing situations. Well, I pray. I pray. But is the Lord hearing? And I want us to look. There are two verses we're zoning in on this morning. It's Proverbs, I mean, it's Psalm 66, verse 18. And I want you to look at another one. And let's go look at it and bring it home. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. And we're going to look at verse 9. Proverbs 28. And we're going to look at verse 9. Proverbs 28, 9. Look what it says here. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law. Even his prayer is an abomination. One who turns away his ear from the hearing of the law. Even his prayer is an abomination. The word from which abomination is translated means disgusting. It means abhorrence. It means literally, it makes me want to vomit. It makes me sick. It makes me nauseated. It is repulsive to me. Relationship. Fellowship, if the relationship is there, but if iniquity is quite at home with my, me and my life, and I turn away from hearing the Word of God, my prayer to my God is disgusting to Him. 
That's a hard word. But it's the Bible. Now, when he says the hearing of the law, he was talking about the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. That's what they had back then. Do you know what the word Bible means? Have you ever thought about that? You know what the word Bible means? Just the word itself, Bible. Have you ever heard what it means? Do you know? Huh? Close. Do anybody know what it means? The book. It means the book. That's kind of bad to the bone to me, isn't it? The Bible's the book, man. It's like, you know what? The rest of them are just little t attempts at the books, but this is the book, you know. And you can replace that book. This is the book. You turn away from your book. You turn away from God's Word. See, prayer is not me trying to change the mind of God to what I want. Prayer is discovering God's will and changing myself to fit into His plan. It's not breaking down God's resistance, but it's laying hold of God's willingness. It is saying, you know what? No longer does my desire count. I don't want what I want anymore because I've figured out and I've lived long enough to know that everything I wanted that I received and I thought I wanted, when I got it, I found out that I didn't need it and I shouldn't have had it in the first place. God is not some great withholder of blessing. He is a one through whom blessings flow. But it's conditioned upon His perfect will. And His perfect will is found in the book. It's not trying to change the heart of God to do what I want Him to do. It is trusting God to change my heart so that my desire is what He wants to do. It's opening up the flood of heaven to do what God wills to do in His most perfect way. It is not breaking down God's resistance, it's laying hold of God's willingness. But when we turn away from the hearing of the law, when we turn away from the book, if I turn away from the book, then all I'm saying to God is, I am not interested in what you've got to say, but you surely must be most interested in what I've got to say. And people say, you know what, I don't read the Bible, I'm not really into the Bible, I don't search out the Word, but I pray. One turns away from the hearing of the book. Even his prayer is an abomination. He's saying to God, I'm not into what you've got to say. But surely, God, you must be in to what I've got to say. This is the essence of what we've said month in and month out, Sunday in and Sunday out, time and again. We've said it repeatedly over and over and over again. That the prayer that gets answered from heaven is the one that originates from there. Prayer is discerning the will of God and praying it back to Him. Predicated upon the promises of God, not from a stingy God in heaven that wants to withhold, but from a God in heaven that's so giving, He spit heaven, bankrupt heaven, sent the best He had to send on Calvary's hill, His Son, to purchase you and me. That's not a stingy God. And He says, you know what? The relationship's intact, but the fellowship... And the fellowship, the relationship's intact, but what about the fellowship? And the fellowship is predicated upon whether or not I'm in the Word. Look at instances when God said, listen, I'm not even going to listen to you. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Turn there with me, will you? We've got biblical precedent here. In addition to that one that we just looked at in Proverbs, look at the real-time stuff that happened uh, with His people. They were in such a state of apostasy and turning away from Him. Look what He says in Isaiah 1, and we're going to look at 13 through 15. 
Look what it says. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Did, our, did God ordain sacrifices? Did God ordain incense offerings in the temple? Did God ordain new moons and Sabbath assemblies? Did God ordain and appoint feasts? Did God ordain all of these things? Absolutely. But it had come from a heart that was at home with iniquity and therefore He would not listen. He would not listen. We don't have a praying nation because we're not a praying church. And because we're not a praying church, because we're not praying people. And oftentimes we're not praying people or our prayers are ineffective because we're regarding iniquity in our hearts and the Lord will not hear. Look at the language he uses right here. It says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. You know, we think of the posture of prayer and we see the praying hands and they're famous and that's all well and fine. And sometimes I think that's certainly meant to, to say, okay, when you come to the Lord and you put your hands together and it's sweet to see a little child do that. And they clasp their hands together. Or sometimes we might hold hands in a circle around the family meal. And uh, that might look all spiritual and all that, but there's usually a carnal reason for that is, and that's so that somebody else don't beat us to the food. But, um, but we all gather around here and do this, and we put our hands together and do these things, and that's all well and fine. But look what it says. It says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear because your hands are full of blood. There's iniquity. There's not caring. There's injustice among my people. You guys are sinning. You guys not only are sinning, but you're disregarding my call to repentance. You just won't do it. You continue in your apathy. You act as if I don't even live. And he said, when you spread out your hands to pray, I will not listen. So we think about how, how we clasp hands. Look at this, you guys. And we'll, we'll put them together like that when we pray. Or maybe we'll hold them down like this. But it says there, when you spread out your hands to pray, and then we can kind of get the envision of maybe like this or some affirmation of praise. And sometimes in the service, and I do it too, we'll lift up hands and praise the Lord. We can't help it. We can't restrain. We just want to lift them up to kind of almost like lift us up to the glory that, that we're espousing through song. But what he's talking about there is when the Jewish person would go to the Lord in prayer, he'd hold out his hands like this. Look at this. Get, I want everybody to remember this. Will you hold out your hands like this right now? Can you do that? Can anybody just like this? And you want to do it like an examination. Like just, just pretend like for a minute you're a four-year-old child and you're looking at the mom and dad. You're about to go eat lunch. And they told you to go wash your hands. And you come up and say, okay, is this, is this, what do you think? Right? Don't forget that image, okay? Thank you. Put them down. Thank you for doing that. I just wanted it to be there, something embedded in their heart that would stick there because this is what he's talking about. This is the language he's using. He's saying that they would hold up their hands like that for an examination. It's a time to look. Lord, are they clean? 
Lord, are they clean? And he said, when you hold up your hands like that, they've got blood all over them. And because when you hold them up and I examine them, let me tell you what the examination, what I have determined through my examination. There's blood all over your hands. And you can hold up those hands all you want to, and you can lift up those prayers all you want to, but if you turn away from the hearing of the law and you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear. This is going to bring some things home right here, and I didn't plan this at all. This happened in the last 24 hours. But don't you look at Ezekiel chapter 3. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3. Be open to what God's Word is saying here. Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 16. There are two people in view in these passages. As we go through verses 16, and we're going to go through to verse 21. There are two people in view here. One is the uh, wicked person, which is the lost person. It's the man who does not know Jesus. The other is a saved man, beginning in verse 20, who does know Jesus but is not living like it. Okay, so let's don't treat these people the same way. But let's remember, this covers everybody. This covers a saved person who's living out in, a, in not good, not the right fellowship with the Lord. But it is preceded by somebody who is not saved and does not even have a relationship with the Lord. And look what it says here. It says, Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, he's talking to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way. What's the objective? To save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Ezekiel the prophet had denied instruction from the Lord to do what God had told him to do. And he held up his hands to the Lord. What would the Lord see on his hands? He would see the blood of the wicked man that he refused to warn. And he says, if he doesn't turn, if he, hey, listen, yet if you warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now he changed the subject here in verse 20 and he's going to talk to the righteous man who's not living like it. And it says again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall surely die. Okay, this is the saved man who turns away in his iniquity. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But what? His blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous man should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and also you have delivered your soul. Let me ask you a question. Listen to this. As far as connecting with the activity of God, <clears throat> if we habitually go through this earth, and we habitually go through and we have relationships and people we know, and we habitually refuse to tell them the remedy for the destruction and the destructive path that they're on, and that God made another path, and God has told us, and He lays on our heart through obedience to share. And He look, and we look up and lift up our hands in prayer to Him. He sees their blood. 
No less than three times in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, let me tell you this. I delivered the message to you. I did what God told me to do. And now I'm moving on. And if you don't respond to the message, your blood is not on my hands. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. And you know it to be the case. Things are changing. Things are changing at a rapid pace. The world is tottering to and fro like a drunken man. As a matter of fact, God woke me up one night and gave me that verse. And I thought about it the other day. They say that the last time they had a tsunami off the coast of Chile, that the earth, it rocked it just a little bit. Did you know that? It's rocking to and fro like a man tottering back and forth like a drunkard. The Bible predicts that. It says it's going to happen. In the last days, it's going to happen. And here we are. We've got people that are groping around in darkness all around us. And some of them, we've been put in their life. And we have God opens up opportunities to share the gospel with them. God opens opportunities maybe for us to warn somebody who we know does know Christ but is not walking like it to come up beside them and say, Listen, listen, listen. We warn and admonish and teach every man. This is not an Old Testament principle. It's very new. And the Apostle Paul said, we warn and teach and urge everyone. We plead with every man, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Could it be some of the ineffectiveness of the power of our prayer is because the blood of these that are perishing is on our hands. This is a convicting word for all of us. The palms are upward, but the clean, the, the, the palms might be upward, but the heart is cold and indifferent. The heart is secular. The heart is crowded out. There are many voices that are competing for our attention, and too often we're paying more attention to those voices than we are to the still small one. Job said in Job 17:9, the righteous shall hold to his way, and he who has clean hands will grow stronger. And stronger. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us, forgive us of our trespasses as we. What do you see, Lord? Here they are. What do you see? Am I in right fellowship with you? Have I turned away from the hearing of the law to the point that the things I'm requesting of you are no more consistent with your will? Because I don't even know your will. I don't take the time to try to find it. I don't pray back what I've heard from you. I just expect you to respond to what I is on my agenda. Keep an open mind and look at a couple more verses and we'll close. Prayer is not a position of the hands. It's a condition of the heart. We're not making more out of the hands than we should. But it is, a, it is a, a spiritual analogy to show us truth about the condition of our heart. Look at Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And yet a, another, another time. Look at Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. This is God talking to His people now. 59, 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord is not, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear.
God chooses not to hear. Why? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I have no regard for iniquity in my heart, but I've turned away from the book, my prayer is an abomination. We have the relationship. God's all about the fellowship. If the relationship is there and the fellowship is there, then let's look at the perspective. Let's look at the perspective. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that an abomination is the only prayer a man or a woman can give to God when they turn away from the book? Because otherwise God becomes a divine waiter to us in heaven. And we issue up the orders. Serve it up the way I like it, Lord. Change it, make it, conform and fashion my situations to the way I want them. Change now other people. Change now situations and circumstances. Do it, do it now, and do it not only now, but do it my way. Keep an open mind, and I want you to look at two verses of Scripture. Two passages. Look at John 14, chapter, verses 13 and 14. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. It's amazing how we can take Scripture and build a theology around it and wind up being in error. This is Jesus. Now, now, hang with me here and let's get context here. Hang with me, hang with me and stay with me. And before, before we finish now, don't write this off until you hear the whole, the whole story. We find in this narrative, in the middle of this narrative, a discourse from Jesus to the disciples when the kingdom is still being offered to Israel. Are you with me? It says, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He comes to them first. I came first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's talking to the disciples. This is why the kingdom is still being offered to the nation of Israel in hopes that they will repent nationally and they will one day. This was before the church age began. This was before you and I were grafted in as Gentiles. The gospel first went to the Jew. This is the context of this, these words. These words were written and applied at a certain time when the kingdom of God was still being offered to His covenant people. We know that the kingdom was ultimately rejected. The gospel was opened up to the Gentiles and now we're in the age called the church age. The age in which these words were spoken was called the kingdom age. Now we're in the church age. When that church age ends, then the kingdom age will begin again. And it will, no, the kingdom age will begin. And Jesus will come to earth. The nation of Israel will repent. And all of these promises to them will be fulfilled. But for right now, we're in a time period in which the church is being built. One day, somebody, the last person to be a part of the church, is going to repent of their sins, put their faith in Jesus. It's going to make up the entire church, and God's going to call us up out of here, away, to meet Him in the air. That will begin the tribulation period of time that we talk about in the Scriptures and the end of the time of tribulation. The nation of Israel will repent. Jesus will come back down here with us on earth. He will sit on the throne of David, and all of these promises will be fulfilled to God's covenant people. But we're in that time period right now. But see, when, the, when these words were spoken, when these words were spoken, it was when the kingdom was still being offered to Israel. Look what they say. Follow me now. Wait, hang with me if you will. It says, And whatever you ask in my name, <clears throat> that I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let me ask you a question. Follow me carefully. Have you ever asked something from the Lord in His name and Him not do it? Be honest. You can be honest. You, you, I mean, you've never asked something in the Lord's name and Him not do it. Well, wait a minute. Did we read wrong? It says, in that day, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There are no qualifiers. There are no qualifiers. It says, if you ask something in my name, have you ever prayed sincerely for somebody's healing and God chose to do it another way and maybe take them home? But didn't you ask in Jesus' name? Is God a promise breaker? Absolutely not. We're taking, this, we're taking the Scripture out of context. In the kingdom age, we will ask according to His will because He will be with us. His rule and His reign. We will be all under His rule and His reign. And the only thing that we'll ask of Him will be according to His will. And whatever we ask, it'll be done. But the same apostle who wrote this through the power of the Holy Spirit, which one of them? Who wrote this through the power of the Holy Spirit? John, same guy, same guy. All right, now watch, watch, watch. Let's go over to the kingdom and let's go over to the church age. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to move into verses 14 and 15. This, this is where we are right now in the church age. This is where we are in the church age. I appreciate your honesty, Alex. That's exactly right. I've asked for things in God's name and Him not do it. Oh, now watch this. It's not because God's a promise breaker. He's not that. It's because this is the prescribed manner. Watch this. Watch this. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Same guy. First John. Same guy. Same guy wrote this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And look what he said. And look at the difference and note the difference. And don't forget it. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, what? According to His will. He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Look at the difference. It says, if we ask anything, what? According to His will. How can you know the will of God when you turn away from the hearing of the book? You can't do it. That's why the prayer is abominable. It's just my best guess at what God's will is. See, if we take the time to search it out and let the Word search us, this is for church age. This is for the age that we live in right now. We have the confidence that we ask anything that is according to His will, then we have the petitions that we ask. We can know that not only we are heard, but we are asking according to His will. And if we ask God according to His will, we have the petitions that we've been granted. If we continue to ask and God changes or shows us truth about the situation in prayer that was different, it will change our intercession. It will guide our intercession. But God does that primarily through His Word. That's why it's an abomination for somebody to habitually turn away from the Word and then ask God daily for things that are not even remotely close to His will. You see it? 
Not even remotely close to his will. Let me ask you a question. This is a great question. It's a great question that God asked of me. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 20. <laughs> if you can find Ephesians chapter 20, let me know, will you? Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're in a long search. You're looking for Ephesians chapter 20. Ephesians chapter 3, I mean. I'm sorry. I'll get there in a minute. I'm the one that's tottering. Listen, Ephesians chapter 3. Why don't you look at this? I love this verse. Two verses. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you had options, would you rather have it this way? Would you rather have it that God, who's capable of doing anything, nothing with Him is impossible. There are no limits on God's power, provision, providence, or His love and care and mercy. Thank God. And He's all of that. He's everything. He's infinite. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipowerful. It means His power is limitless. He's omniscient. It means He knows everything. That God. Would you rather have anything that you could ask from Him? If He just gave you a blank check and said, Here, Don, write in it. Whatever, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Just carte blanche. And you know that God's got the capacity to do it. It's not like you're asking. He can do it exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. I could not think of something that's more grander. I could not think of anything that could challenge God. I could say, God, do this. And it wouldn't pose a challenge to Him. No matter what I think of. Would you rather have it that He just does what you want? Or would you rather have your prayers committed to the one who knows the beginning from the end? Would you rather say, Lord, you know what? Whatever I want is going to be misguided somehow or another. And whatever I want, I promise you, whatever I want that you might do is nothing compared to what you will to do and the fruit that will come from your will that I may never even live to see until eternity. Would you rather commit it to the all-knowing God, the omniscient God, and say, God, I don't even want to ask anything of you until I find out and pursue your perfect will, and I want to pray that back to you. Would you rather commit it to Him, or make Him, or ask Him to condescend to my puny thoughts and what I think is best about a circumstance? This is what I think is best, Lord. And it might sound good. And we might be able to poll some people and come up with more support for our ideas than anything that we haven't yet seen that God has planned. And then just get what we want at the expense of what God can do. At the expense of what God willed to do. This is why we have the relationship. We need to be in fellowship no regard of iniquity that we know of, that we're holding on to. And we need to be in the book so that we can get perspective. 
and say, God, it's not what I want that I'm going to ask you. But you would you show me what you want so I can in turn ask you based on your promises. And we have confidence that he'll hear and he'll respond. That is prayer. And it's hindered by iniquity, turning away from the hearing of a book, and loss of perspective that comes from doing that. Let's have a word of prayer.